uh, the fun fact for some of you all that have seen the movie Hitch is that it is 13 years old at this point. Uh, and so some of us, like myself, when I saw that, was like, I'm a little bit older than I thought. Uh, but here we are. This is a scene where uh, they're looking. I think they're at Ellis Island. And uh, he's, he's bringing up somebody from this person's past on, on a date. And, uh, and she has this bad experience because Butcher of whatever was actually something where in the movie he was on a, a wanted poster. You and I are born into this world, and in some degree we represent the people who have come before us. Jesus, what we're doing today is we're going to look at the people that came before Jesus, what helped establish his, his genealogy, which for us, we, we, we cut at some times, we might lose sight of our genealogy. Some of us, it's very important. Some of us, not so important. Some of us, we, we more claim, like, where we are from. We have people that are from Iowa, and they're like, I'm an Iowan or whatnot, or I'm from New England, so we celebrate that. Sometimes we lose sight of our heritage, but for some, it is very important. And so what Luke is going to do as we pick up in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is establishing that Jesus is uniquely qualified for a mission at hand. And we need to ask the question today, what makes him qualified and why should our lives focus on Jesus? Our passage begins then like this, coming out of the baptism that we talked about last week in our uh, wellspring blackout, if you were there and survived it. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as opposed, of Joseph, the son of healing. This passage is meaningful to me because when I felt called into this lead pastor role, I was around 30 years of age. I'm now 34, and Jesus was around 33 when he went to the cross. And so I want to live a life of impact, and my age does not disqualify me from living a life of impact. At the age of 30 is when many priests would start their ministry in the temple. In, in a cultural sense, back in the day, the age of 30 was seen when somebody was at their fullest of strength, and that after 30, when it comes to a physical strength, it's all downhill from there. King David was around 30 when he became king. I've seen people disregard uh, age before. I, I've actually had early on a conversation where somebody uh, had the uh, guts to tell me that I needed to start dressing to make older people happy if we wanted our people to tithe. <laughs> and I was able to confidently say that our top givers are mostly under the age of 35. But it's said. People are, are you are maybe your teenagers, and you're looking out there, and, you're, and you feel that way where people look at your age and are, are instantly wanting to disqualify you. Jesus is about 30 years old, and he is being thrust into ministry, the type of ministry that you're not going to give to a new priest, the type of ministry that you're not going to give to somebody that's new on the scene. It's the type of ministry that you give to, to an experienced, seasoned, veteran-type Christian. But Jesus is 30 years of age and is being trusted with saving mankind from their sins. What's happening culturally is very important. You and I might not care too much about our history. We might not be willing to pay the money for the Ancestry.com or whatever that, that is. But 
what is important is that the Jews considered it very important. Jews would always be like son of, daughter of. It, it was important. That's how they would say their names. For the Greeks, they wanted to know what, what type of class, what type, what type of family is this person coming from. And so what Luke is doing to the reader is very, very important. There's another genealogy, though, in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, which is placed at the beginning of the gospel. For us, we're looking at this as the beginning of Jesus' adult life. This is what we looked at last week, what we're looking at this week, and what we'll look at next week when Jesus is being tempted. Declares one main point, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what Luke is trying to establish. And he does something very important for you and I. He, he says that this Jesus is born out of the line of Joseph. He says, son of Joseph. But do you, did you catch the parentheses? As is supposed. Because we celebrate a virgin birth. We celebrate that, that God the Father is Christ's Father. That he's not born of Joseph, but in an adopted sense, he has all of the heritage, all, of, all that would be from Joseph, and in the adopted sense, belongs to Jesus. And so in that sense, he comes from the line of Joseph, but he makes it very clear he's not Joseph's actual son in the physical sense. So I looked up this week, my brother had, uh, you can throw up that pic of my, uh, my ancestors. My brother, it says Justin Koesh at the top because he paid the money. I wasn't willing to pay the money. Uh, he, he, they did that, all that research as to my heritage. And this actually kind of made me mad because I've grown up with like, I love, uh, I, I'm Irish. I'm very Irish. My parents have told me all my life that I'm very, very Irish. And this has the guts to say that I'm only 11% Irish, which has to be a bunch of just like, it can't be true because eight years into marriage, my wife, for the very first time, made me corned beef on St. Patty's Day. And so now she's going to look at this and she's never going to make me corned beef again. And so this, like, I'm speaking heresy now. But this is, this is my upbringing. I'm a French-Canadian. No one knows how to pronounce my last name because if you're French-Canadian, you know it's Coash. But we don't have very many people that know that, so they just... I'm Pastor Coach, Jason Coach. And if I could pick my heritage, I would pick Italian. Because what I know about you Italians, you're making my point, you don't even know it, is you Italians are very, very loud people. And you all love to eat, and you don't know when to stop eating. And so, like, I feel like I'm an Italian from another mother of sorts. Like, I should have been born Italian. But my heritage may not be Italian, but here's one aspect of my heritage. I called my grandfather this, this week leading up to the sermon, and I, I asked him about from the ministry sense. Because my, my grandfather was a missionary. He was a pastor. My great-grandfather was, was the same. And so I called them to ask, because this, this Bible was given to me when I graduated high school, and it's from my great-grandfather, who was a pastor and a missionary. And it means a whole lot to me. Next to my, my wife, my kids, and maybe my dog, this would be one of the first things I would grab if my house was burning down. And he, as we were talking, he started crying, thinking of his dad and the legacy that he left of a follower of Jesus great-grandfather was a pastor, my grandfather was a pastor, skipped a generation and has come to me. And it's meaningful to me. 
I, I lead this ministry, and one of, the, one, of, one of the things that sticks in my head is a, is, a, is a comment from my grandfather that said, Jason, if you want to lead a successful church, preach Jesus. You, if people leave celebrating Wellspring or celebrating you, you fail. Celebrate Jesus. And that sticks with me, and that's a heritage that I want to honor. So as you and I, as we examine the life of Jesus, what type of family was he born out of? What, what, how is he represented? What, 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 what is his background in his upbringing? What does that communicate about God? What does that communicate about Jesus? What does that communicate about you and I? Now here's the next portion of the genealogy. Here's a whole bunch of, here's a whole bunch of words. We're not going to read all of them because I can only pronounce about 4% of those words. But that is the genealogy of Jesus up until the last verse, which we'll look at in a second, that is what Jesus is born out of. A whole bunch of names. Son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, and not the curse word, but son of people. And for the Jew, they would look at this, and they would look at this, and they would, they would highlight certain names, and they would say, man, this is awesome. This is a coming Messiah. This, is, this, this may be king, because they're going to look at this, and they're going to see David, who's a king, and they're going to know Jesus comes from royalty. That represents that he's a royal king. They're going to look at Abraham, who's on this list, and they're, and they're going to say, well, then that, that represents a national hope, that we have hope through Jesus. They're going to look at Adam and say that Jesus represents all of humanity. They're going to look at that and they're going to say, what a distinguished heritage. But then if you and I look at that as people that aren't Jewish per se, maybe we look at it from the Greek perspective. We just take it matter of fact. On that list is Noah. Well, yeah, Noah was great, but he had a season where he was drunk and naked in front of people that wasn't very becoming, if you will. David's on that list, and yes, he's a man after God's own heart, and what screams, what screams is screamed on that list is a God of second chances. Thank God for, for redemption. Thank God that we, that we have forgiveness in Jesus. But, then, but you have David, who, if, if, if you just know David as a king, yes, he is a king, but he murdered a man. He, he looked at another man's wife and said, I like, I want. He took her and, and had an affair. You have, you, have, you have Jacob on that list. You have Judah. You have Abraham. You have Isaac. And, and they were families of liars and deceivers. And it, and it weaved through their family. Judah did bad, bad, no-no things with what he thought was a shrine prostitute. And I looked at that list and I said, why would God allow his perfect son to be born out of those types of circumstances? And it brings me to one of our core beliefs, an all-inclusive gospel message. Because Jesus represents humanity. There is no sin Jesus didn't die for. He died for all all can come to Jesus, and this list screams that opportunity. And so for you and I, this is why our volunteers are so important. We don't target one type of person or one age group or one ethnic race because we want the people serving to represent humanity. And so here are some awesome pictures of our volunteers varying in age and what they're interested in in sports teams and people that were not friends, different different ethnicities, different age groups. And, and, and look at, pause there for a second. Like, 
I am racing the sun's out, guns out, dude. Like, I'm racing that guy in the 5K next week, so can you all just look at that and, and take joy with me when I beat him next week? Uh, anyways, different age group, different, different gender. Our worship team led us in one song, and did you know that there were what, two, two or three teenagers? Two, three, whatever. There were some teenagers on stage. The drummer's like 21 years old, and... Uh, serve an all-inclusive God where age doesn't matter. And if you're a teenager among me, we have aisle hosts. We have, we have opportunities you, for you to serve because well, the genealogy shows me anything is that we all can come to Jesus no matter age, ethnicity, race, gender, whatever. It's open to all. And so we want our volunteers to represent that. So why aren't you serving? Get on it. We have a place for you. But the passage drives to the very last verse, where he says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke does something unique where he takes the genealogy of Christ and brings it all the way back to God the Father. He says, he's, this, is, this is different than Adam is, is of God. Yes, God, Adam is, is a, a son of God. But he's making the point that Jesus is the son of God. Because Adam, Adam and Jesus are entirely different. Adam was never a baby. He wasn't born of a mother. He wasn't born of, a, like, God created Adam. Jesus was born. Jesus Jesus came from a mother, Mother Mary. And so his father is God, God the Father. He's different than Adam. What Adam did when he was born in the world is Adam's sin brought sin into the world. And that is why Paul will refer to Jesus as the second Adam because he's uniquely qualified to be born of humanity and not be like Adam, where Adam was a sinner, as you and I are all sinners as well, where Jesus was born uniquely and was able to never sin and therefore do what Adam couldn't do. And so Luke rightfully says that this is the Son of God in the eternal sense. What he did at the baptism, what he's doing now with the genealogy, and next week or two weeks from now we're going to conclude our Couch to 5K series. We're going to look at the temptation where Satan is going to drill home this point. If you're the Son of God, prove it. Luke is taking a section to drill home this point that Jesus is uniquely qualified as the Son of God. My son asked to sit in the uh, service today. He's seven. And so we read him the riot act that you cannot talk to daddy while he's preaching. You can't talk to mom because that's distracting. And you have to stay in here the whole time. Those were the rules, right? And <laughs> his eyes at me. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and so, like, as, as dads, like, dads, if you're in the room, you know this sometimes happens when we joke around with our kids. And sometimes we might say things that, like, if it's said outside of the family, outside of the family circle, it might not be taken in the, in the intention that you mean it. But in the family circumstances, like, your, the family kind of understands. And so I routinely might tell my kids, like, you keep doing it, I'm going to stick my boot up your butt or, or I'm going to throw you through the roof or something like that. Like, like obviously, I'm joking. Landon can attest that my boot has never gone to his butt or that he's never actually gone through a roof or something like that uh, because I love my kid and that would be terrible and whatnot. And, 
and, and all of that. Please don't call anybody on me. That's not actually, it's never happened. But here, like, I was thinking this. My dad used to say, as a dad would do, he used to say this out loud, and we knew he was joking. But now as I look back as a dad myself, I always now wonder, what were people thinking when he would say this comment? And what would happen is we were big into sports, and I'm way better at sports than all of my brothers. I just want to make sure that's on YouTube. And, uh, and so uh, we, were, we were big into sports. My dad would come to our, our sporting events. And whenever my brothers would make a mistake, because I never made mistakes when we were playing sports. And whenever my brothers would make a mistake, he would yell out, oh, is his, is his name on the back of that jersey? And we, were, we, we knew it was a joke. And we never really took it to heart. But now as I think back about it, how many times my dad wondered if, if my name, Coash, was on the back of my jersey. Uh, my dad was communicating, is this person qualified to carry my legacy, my name, into the sporting world? And uh, obviously, we know he was joking. It didn't do any uh, emotional damage, per se, to us. But he did, in essence, raise that question that people would have heard it, would have thought, like, is this person qualified to hold the name Coash? Jesus is the Son of God, uniquely qualified to hold that title. You know who can't say that? Muhammad. You know who else can't say that? Buddha. You know who else can't say that? The Pope. Mother Teresa. Gandhi. Any other religious heavy hitters that I didn't mention? <laughs> None of them can say the eternal son of God. Because there's one. Jesus Christ. And so that is our big overlapping thought for the morning. If you leave here remembering one thing, remember this. Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God. Uniquely qualified for a mission at hand. Qualified to die for imperfect humanity. Born of a virgin. Born and never sinned so that he could uniquely take on the sins of of mankind and his 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 the nature of son of god was brought into question for his entire life they would think hey your mother was a was a sleazy woman you're born of joseph and they they would accuse her of those types of things that he was born in a way that that good little jewish boys shouldn't be born and things of that nature or or other religious leaders like that jesus is uniquely qualified they would bring that into question and as he is on trial Read this with me in Luke 22, a few chapters later. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us, Jesus. Tell us. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. If, if I ask you, you would not answer but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And they asked him. They switched the terminology. Catch this. They said to him, these religious, these, these prideful, pontious leaders, look at Jesus and call this into question. Are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Confirming what they said. And they said, what? Do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday. We celebrate when Jesus was, was brought in on a donkey and people were throwing palms and, and, and throwing their cloaks and they were ready to make him a, a royal 
king, an earthly king. They didn't realize the true type of king that he was. And a week later, many of these same individuals are looking at Jesus and saying, you just said you're the son of God. And what they're going to say moments from now is crucify, crucify, crucify him. It was questioned then and it's still questioned. There are some that sit among me that still say, well, Jesus is a great religious leader. He's a cool dude. He did great things, said cool things, did a few little miraculous things. He's just like all the others. No, he is the one and the only eternal son of God. Some still question it. They still doubt they're crucifying him in their heart. While others accept him and find life and forgiveness. Because Jesus was uniquely qualified. To say, you as mankind have sin that you can't die for. Because there's a penalty over your head. I'll send my son. I'll live perfectly. So that penalty doesn't fall on my head. So I'll pay it for you. So what does that mean for you and I? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live is the flesh that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That my old life, drugs, alcohol, girls, boys, whatever, like whatever, whatever sin is part of my old life, it is old and it is dead. That Jesus Christ died for me and I have life through his resurrection. And so we live differently. My life is tied up with Jesus' life. Therefore, his genealogy through faith in Jesus becomes my genealogy. I may not be the son of God, but through Jesus, he looks at me as brother. He looks at me as a family member, offering me that same blessing. Because he is qualified as the unique son of God, he then serves as my qualification to be part of the family of God. And so do we see him as Savior? Do we cling to the name of Jesus? And if we do, then are we willing to stop playing God? Are we willing to say what Galatians says, my old is dead, my new has come. I'm alive in Jesus. That old life is dead. And because what happens is when we don't treat the old life as dead and we allow that old life to creep back in, we then are seeing ourselves as God. We start playing God. And so I, I want to I wanna offend a whole bunch of us now. And I want to I read through some areas in which we sometimes are accustomed to playing God. It's something that I posted on social media, and you all blew up my social media, giving me opportunities, giving me examples of how we tend to play God. One of the, very, one of the most common things is when we withhold forgiveness. Because my God is a forgiving God. So when someone wrongs me, if I choose to forego forgiving them, is there not an element where I'm playing God choosing forgiveness? What about when it's myself? You turn to Jesus and Jesus forgives all of your sin. What are you still hanging on to from your past? Choosing to, to not forgive yourself. Isn't there an element of playing God there? What about revenge? <laughs> Someone wrongs you? What's our human nature to play God and get them back? One-up them. 
teach them that they are wrong and they are stupid. Instead of being patient and letting God do his God thing and doing the revenge thing for us. We saw this in uh, Retro. Retro's been in the news recently. It's been blowing up social media. And as eyewitnesses are coming out that were at that event, they're saying that the article is not as, not as correct as it makes it out to be. That the eyewitnesses are saying that the people involved perhaps led to being kicked out of the gym. So, so all I can conclude from the article and from, and from eyewitnesses who I have literally read their accounts is that perhaps both sides are wrong. And so we as Christians tend to take revenge. We want to we protect one another and teach retro that they are wrong and that they deserve to pay for kicking a Christian out of their gym. That only furthers their belief that God sucks. And so what we did yesterday, some awesome people of Wellspring Church said, can we take some Wellspring money and love on retro? Yes. And they took $5 gift cards, and they took protein bars and a God loves you card, and went to three local gyms and said, we just want to say, we know you guys are in the media, but we love you. God loves you, and so do we. And you want to know what happened? is one of the local managers said, I've had the worst day I've ever had because of all of you. And she broke down and cried because this little act of love meant something for her. We need to stop playing God. If we want to play God, be a person of love, be a person of grace, be a person of forgiveness, because that's my Jesus. Other ways in which we play God is, is and when we pray, we give God our to-do list instead of accepting his to-do list. <laughs> Other ways we play God is when we try to predict or manipulate the future instead of trusting the future in God's hands. When, when we allow our personal feelings to get in the way of God's truth and letting his truth trump our feelings. We, we play God when we say, well, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be all about Jesus on a Sunday morning. But as soon as I get into the car, I'm going to ream out my kids for rolling their eyes in the front row uh, at church. Or, or I'm going to be all, you know, like Jesus here. But tomorrow morning when my boss puts an expense account that he's questioning on my desk, then all, all bets are off. Or I, I'm going I'm to be all Jesus-like here. But tomorrow morning when my, when my teacher gives me a C on my paper and I really question that C, I'm going to go all non-Christian on her. We compartmentalize God where if God is God, he's God in all areas. And we need to stop playing God. And so this is my challenge to us this morning, is give the lead role back to Jesus. If we believe in Jesus, then he's God of our lives. Let him be God. And when we try to be God, here's what I know. We're terrible at it. So just let him do it. Let him live his life through us. Let him be God. Think about the areas in which you tend to try to be God in your life. And this week, my challenge is to give it back, spend time journaling, spend, spend time playing, saying, God, there's a person that has wronged me. I want to take revenge on them. God, I'm, I'm through journaling, through prayer. I want to give you that lead roll back. Instead of taking revenge, I'm going to invite them to Easter. I'm going to take a God loves you card and, and love on them, buy them a cup of coffee. Take time to say, God, I... I've given you an awesome to-do list through time and prayer, but this morning, God, 
I want to let you be God and just speak to me. Speak to me. This week, how can you give the lead role back to God? I read this article this week, and there's some things that are said in here. I know in the uh, addiction and recovery world, um, some things are uh, slightly uh, debatable. But, uh, but this is something that was said that, again, I'm not going to defend or, or deny some of the things in here, but I just want to read this for the premise of playing God. This person wrote this article that said, I sat there staring at my iPhone, waiting for the little bubbles to pop up on my screen, indicating that my friend was responding to the text message. I, the time seemed to stand still as I waited for that text to come through. The message I was waiting to receive was, was one that would tell me that she was ready to get sober. The response never came. Time and time again, I have tried to help her get sober, and nothing has ever worked. I stayed up all night thinking uh, about the diverse ways in which I could convince her to muster the strength to get help. Before coming into my own recovery, my family would submit uh, like little trophy emotional appeals uh, to me from the big that the big book talks about. The, they, they often beg me to get sober, sober, dangling some type of emotional reward in front of my eyes to encourage me to choose sobriety, and it never worked. Drugs and alcohol were always my master, and nothing could change that. So why did I think I could help my friend attain the willingness to get sober? The truth is, I was disturbing her journey. This time had been one of the hardest lessons of my life that I'd ever learned in my own recovery. I never saw that I was trying to play God. I only saw that I was trying to help. But far too often, we get well and, and we want others to join us on this path to unlimited freedom, which is true. We want to show them a true, amazing life could, that we could choose recovery. The truth is that decision is not always up to us. The big book informs us that God is going to be our director. He is the principal. He is, we are his agents. And so this is easier said than done. Alcohols and addicts are some of the most caring people I've ever met, and that is absolutely true. When we see a chance to help others, we, we move mountains to make it happen. Where is that fine line when we need to quit playing God? That's a hard lesson. Struggling that when I think of landing up in the front row. We're talking about school next year. How, what's the fine line of playing God in my, in my kids' lives? Where's that fine line of saying, I can't be God, that they have to allow God to live his life through them and allow them to sometimes struggle. Sometimes I have to allow them to hit rock bottom. Maybe you know somebody that you're enabling. And it's time to stop playing God. And let God do what God does and call people to himself. Trust that. Pray fast. Jesus, Jesus, look, Graham preached that sermon a few months ago. There's, there's things that live inside of people that some God said this kind of thing can only come out through prayer and fasting. Maybe you're going to choose not to enable a person anymore, but to pray and to fast. That God would do what God does. Let him be God. And so if God is God, then he leaves us with a mission. He left this earth, ascended up into heaven. He says, go now into all the earth. Share my gospel message baptize them, preach the good news, teach them to obey all that I have commanded. And guess what? Then his mission becomes
becomes our mission. His, his Holy Spirit-empowered ministry becomes our Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. And so are we on mission with God? And do we see Him as God? When we forgo God, then we forgo resurrection power. When we say, I'm going to do this in my strength, then we are forgoing the type of strength that can raise a man from the grave. We have the Holy Spirit living up inside of us. So is God of vital importance in our life when we're willing to give him everything? This has a starting point. John, John 4 says, says this in two different verses, 4 and 5. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is what? The Son of God. God abides in him and he in God. He'll go on a chapter later and says, whoever has the Son has what? Life. Whoever does not have what? The Son of God does not have life. Everything hinges on Jesus. And so you and I have a choice to make today. Are we going to continue allowing God to be God, that He is the Son of God? Or, or, are we going to start that? Are we going to start by saying, I don't understand what this do whatever is up on stage saying, but I am starting to grasp that this is a unique man that is worthy of my attention. And today, for the first time, I am going to say, this is the Son of God. I confess it. He died for my sins. And when you do that, your true life begins. And Easter next week will have a whole new meaning for you. Because we don't celebrate a dead Savior. We celebrate a God risked and killed his son on our behalf, but is powerful enough to bring back to life as we have hope of resurrection ourselves. So we're going to conclude, we wanted to do this intentionally, conclude with worship. As we celebrate that we're not qualified, but Jesus is. We celebrate that God is uniquely, has uniquely qualified Jesus to take our sins. And so when we understand that, we understand that God and I am not. You might think that's weird. You might think that we are weird. And you're going to see some people praising, maybe dancing, maybe raising their hand, maybe sitting, maybe praying, whatever. You're going to look around and you might be like, oh, that's a little weird. Then have coffee with them afterward. And you'll find out they put their pants on just like I put. Well, don't ask about their pants. That's weird. But like, you'll find out that they're just like you and I. They maybe say things to their kids like, well, that sometimes they, you say things to your kids. When there's two snow days in a row, you understand that as parents, they're stressed out just like you're stressed out. So my encouragement is for some of us right now to call on the name of Jesus for the very first time and say, God, I believe your son is the son of God. And I'm giving him my life. I'm killing my old life. I'm going to let his life live through. So I'm going to invite you to pray and to confess that to God. And then we have aisle hosts that are, are scattered around or will be scattered around with some Bibles that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have a new life. And we want to tell you about what that new life means and what it represents. So allow me to pray. And for some of us, I am pr- I'm begging the Holy Spirit to move right now where you, for the first time, will confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And then what happens when you guys do that? Heaven erupts in worship. And so we're going to pray and then we're going to erupt in worship because Jesus is worth celebrating. God, I thank you for this Sunday. God, I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you that he is the son of God and is uniquely qualified that I am not. I am not God. 
It's not a role I really want, Father. And so, Father, help me, Jason, pastor, to, to stop trying to play God. Stop trying to manipulate a church. Try, start, stop trying to manipulate your future. But just trust and to rest that you are God and you died for this church. And you will take it wherever you want to take it. And that we will be on mission because you put us on mission. Help me to stop playing God. And so, Father, in this moment, as we are declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, move now where there would be some in this moment that for the first time would truly look at you as the unique, the one, the only Son of God. And if that's something that you want to confess in your seat right now, it's simply just pray something along these lines. God, I am sorry. I am a, I have sinned. I have wronged. I, I deserve a penalty for my sin. God, I confess I am not perfect. But today I confess that your son is. I confess that he is the unique son of God. I accept the life that he offers me. I want the old to be dead and I want to live new with you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for an all-inclusive gospel message, Father, that you would choose to die for somebody like me. I love you and I give you my life. In your name, amen. So we will, with the angels, erupt in worship. And as we worship, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, see one of the aisle holds. Grab a Bible. Aisle holds. If you can bring me one, I'll have a Bible up here. I want to pray with you. I also can't wait to worship.